Well, good morning, y'all. Um, our speaker for today actually is uh, the one who inspired me about uh, going to Nicaragua and um, inspired the whole wine to water event. Uh, Chris C. is the pastor of Ecclesia Church in Houston, Texas, and uh, he is a not only just a great pastor, but a great friend of mine. So please help me welcome Chris. Well, good morning, Westridge. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to be back with you. You feel in many ways because of my friendship with Darren and with Shelby, but also just because of who you are as a unique community and people, you feel uh, like a second home to me. So when Darren throws a party, I'm happy to come and then participate uh, over the weekend and get to just share with you. And it, it's a beautiful thing, right? Just imagine uh, how many of you, if you have experience with church in any capacity, to think, that we got together last night and have a blast and drink great wine and get to serve the poor while we do it, right? It's, uh, I mean, to me, a little taste of heaven. And Jesus talks a lot about wine. He says to the disciples, like, I won't drink the, the new wine with you until uh, we're together in the kingdom of heaven. If you can imagine, like, how good the wine in heaven will probably be. Um, I think we could say even better than some of what we tasted last night. So, uh, I'm thrilled that we got most of the way towards that project. Our church, Ecclesia, would love to help make up half of that gap, assuming that some folks here at Westridge would help us make up the other half. So my hope is that if you could contribute to bridging that gap of 5,000, then we'd come together with 5,000, and we could get this project done. So if you want to participate in that, would you come see Darren after the service? And let's see if we can uh, can knock it out in one beautiful weekend. So. Um, I, I'm, I'm also excited to be with you today because I feel like the word that um, God's called me to share is an important one. Like I told you, I, I like you a lot, and I want to preach something that makes you like me. And so it's obvious that I would preach to you today about sin uh, that would get everybody really fired up and uh, feeling great about what I had to share. But it, it really is. It's not the most popular topic. Uh, and yet what I hope is that what I share to you today really is the good news about sin. Um, it, Quite likely, you're like me, and all you have to do is look at your own life, and you see the results of sin all over. Uh, We live in a culture that would also like to say, like, we'd love to have Christians around, uh, but that are often uncomfortable with the concept of sin, right? Even in the election cycle, we heard things like, I'm a Christian, but I've never asked God for forgiveness for anything, right? Which didn't make a lot of sense if you're familiar, like, with Christianity. Um, At least my experience is, I'm constantly having to come to God, saying, God, will you forgive me? Anybody else with me just to help me feel good? Okay. That we're constantly in that state. And yet today what I want to share with you is that I think we can also get trapped if we see sin as not just our problem, but in some ways uh, as our identity. Um, We can also get into a problem if we try to diagnose the problems of our life and we don't understand that sin's a part of it. Um, A couple years ago, uh, one of our church members brought to me an amazing story of a friend Uh, This is a young lady who experienced what it's like to have something not diagnosed correctly, what many of us do in our spiritual lives as well. This uh, young sister, Jean Sharon Abbott, grew up uh, all of her life uh, living with the limitations of cerebral palsy. And uh, and two years ago, on Good Friday, she went into the doctor, and while getting some genetic testing, the doctor noticed um, that she had an anomaly Uh, genetically that was an indication that she didn't actually have cerebral palsy. And in a very brief uh, doctor's visit, he figured out what she actually had, gave her a pill, 
And by Easter Sunday, Jean Sherrod Abbott was walking. Um, she, uh, that she began to just, literally, we got this next photo, and she's hiking, right, and doing things that you, you couldn't believe. Um, she lived with all of those years uh, with a misunderstanding of what the actual problem was. And somehow when she figured out what the real problem was, it brought an amazing new solution. And in some ways today, that's what I want to bring to you. Um, I, I want to invite you to consider with me the difference between guilt and shame. And look at some of the places that in our lives we've been caught in patterns of shame. Uh, as a pastor, I get to do some pretty amazing things. I get to be with people on their best days. Um, so a lot of times, and same with your pastoral staff and leadership team, like we often get invited. If you have an amazing party, we often get to come. If you get a big promotion, uh, you invite us to the celebration dinner, and uh, we get to share in it. We also get to enter into dark times with you and uh, to be with you at the funeral home or uh, in a hospital bed. And, uh, and in recent months, I've had one of the most remarkable pastoral experiences of my life. I, um, I went to school at Baylor University, and I had a great experience there, primarily because of the people that chose to invest in me. And one uh, particular faculty member, uh, Dr. Glenn Hilburn, was the chairman of the religion department at Baylor. And for whatever reason, he saw something in me, and he chose to really pour his life into me. I mean, just teach me, train me, encourage me, speak words of hope that help give me a vision for what I could do. Uh, I, many of you, often when I'm here, you share with me how much God's blessed you through the voice translation. Uh, he's one of those people that spoke over me, like, you could do something like that. You could translate the Bible if you wanted to. And when you're young enough and you hear that from important and smart people, you believe, well, I just believe him, and then you can do it. Uh, I, I got to be with Dr. Hilburn this year, and sadly, it was um, after many years, I feel like, of not um, being a good spiritual son to him. I, my life's busy. Uh, I got a large church. I got four kids. I got a lot going on. And only because my daughter's headed to Baylor next year, and I was headed there to go beg for money, because it's way more expensive than when I was there. Um, and I began to, to prod and knock on every door. I realized I should go visit my mentor while I was there. And so he has been in home hospice. Um, he's been dying of cancer. And his son, when I called and said I'd like to visit, said, you know, he's not often remembering people, but I'm sure it'd be great for you to visit. So I, I came in, and when I opened the door, his eyes lit up, and he called out my name. And, uh, and it, we had just the most amazing visit. I, I got to pray with him. Uh, I read uh, a passage of scripture to him, an important passage to me in Revelation 21. Uh, he taught a class on Revelation when I was a student, the first class I took from him that was huge for me. We talked about the translation decisions we made in the voice. And Revelation 21 is this beautiful passage uh, at the end of Revelation where John has a vision of heaven, right? And if one of the pastors from Westridge comes to visit you in the hospital at some point and they read to you Revelation 21, it means you're going to die very soon, just very, <laughs> very soon. So just know, like your days, it may be hours, really. If they, if they pull out, they could read anything from the Bible. If they read that passage to you, just know you're on your way home. And, and I read that passage to him, and, and without a doubt, his time was limited. I, uh, I then did what I do often when I go to the hospital in these kind of situations, and I just said, Dr. Hilburn, is there a, a hymn that I could sing for you um, today? And his eyes lit up, and he he said, yes. And he said, I want you to choose the hymn. So I remember that he loved this old hymn. If you've been around church 
in the old days, you might know it. I come to the garden alone. Anybody remember this one? While the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear calling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. Will you sing this part with me if you know it? And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. And I actually sing all four verses to him, right? And I'm holding his hand and he's crying and I'm crying. And at the end of singing this hymn to him, I asked him, I said, Dr. Hilburn, do you know why I sing to people when I visit them in the hospital? And without hesitation, he said, because I told you to. <laughs> and, uh, and it was the truth. He remembered years ago, 1991. And he pulled me aside and he said, Chris, not many pastors can sing, but your voice is, uh, will bring hope for people. And so when you visit people in hard times in the hospital, there's very little you can say. But if you'll offer to sing to people, it'll be a gift to them. So for 25 years... I've been visiting people in the hospital. And in really hard times, I'll just say, my mentor recommended that I should sing to you. Would you like me to sing a hymn to you? And no one's ever declined me in, uh, in all of those years. This is the sad or hard part of the story for me. Um, is that I had so been telling myself a story about how Dr. Hilburn likely feels about me now. I felt like he was really disappointed in me because I haven't been good to him in recent years. I've been too busy. Um, I wasn't with him when his wife died. I didn't reach out. I went to the funeral. And I was telling myself a story of shame, um, that, that I should have been better to him. He was so good to me, and I wasn't good to him. And so much so that this visit in his house almost didn't happen, because I felt like somehow what I've been telling myself is when I walk in, he's going to kind of sigh because he's so disappointed in me. And I didn't want to face it. And so this visit that I had, this beautiful moment with one of the most important men in my life, ultimately, weeks later, I had the privilege then of his family asking me to conduct the graveside part of his service and to sing that song over his body as it was being laid into the ground. This tremendous privilege that I received to reconnect with him almost didn't happen because I was telling myself this flawed, deeply flawed story of shame. And my question to you today is, where in similar places of failures, big or small, are you telling yourself a similar kind of story? And is it possible that it's trapped you in a cul-de-sac where you're just repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again? Right? The, the, the challenge for so many of us um, is that these failures, um, we seem to allow somehow to define us rather than Jesus defining us. Now, I think about it, right, and I go... What would it have been like to be someone like Peter? Peter, who quite literally, like, there are people in the room that maybe know some of the places that you've failed. There are a few people around, family, friends. But if you're Peter and you failed a lot, and all your failures are written down in the Bible, right? How would that feel, right? I mean, literally, we're going to get to heaven, and many of us are going to be like, Peter, what the heck, man? What, What were you thinking? Like, That day you chewed Jesus out? Are you kidding me? Like, who chews Jesus out? Like, nobody does that. Remember, Peter had been given a name, Peter. He used to be Simon. 
Jesus named him Peter. You're the rock I'm going to build the church on. Then on that day, when Peter pulls him aside and chews Jesus out, Jesus calls him a different name. You remember what it was? Satan, right? When Jesus calls you Satan, that's a bad day for you, right? (laughs) That is not something you ever want to happen. So, I mean, literally, whether it's chewing Jesus out, whether it's when Jesus is in his hour of great need, and you act like you don't know him, you run, you lie, you curse, right? There's a lot, if you're Peter, there's a lot you have to be ashamed about. And you see this play out, you see it beautifully in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we have this amazing story, like a few in the Bible, where the disciples did what they loved to do. They went fishing, and like a lot of us that go fishing, they caught nothing. They come back and say, it's just not a day, good day to fish. Jesus says, no, it's a good day to fish. Go back out. They're going, Jesus, it's not a good day to fish. But when Jesus tells you enough, you finally listen, right? And you go. And they go out, and they're fishing. It tells us in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, that Simon's fishing partners, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, along with the rest of the fishermen, they see this incredible haul of fish, and they're all stunned, especially Simon, Peter. He comes close to Jesus, and he kneels in front of his knees, right? He gets down in front of him, low, and he says, I can't take this, Lord. I'm a sinful man, and you shouldn't be around the likes of me. Anybody remember or you have a time in your life that you could go, I felt what that's like, like to be Peter and just to say something amazing happens in front of you and your first thought is, I don't deserve this. Peter's like, I experienced the power of God in front of me and all I can think is I've failed so often. I don't deserve to be a part of this. We're blessed with a child, a miraculous birth. God gives us exactly what we hope for and our first thought is, I I." Why, God? Why me? And then Jesus turns to him and says, don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, I'll ask you to bring me people instead of fish. And Jesus has a way of stepping in and saying, Peter, not only have you failed, I've seen your failures, but I love you still. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you. And you're going to be a part of my kingdom. This is the unique gift of Christ to Peter. And I wonder today, Westridge, Where many of us might be trapped with me, like my situation with Dr. Hilburn, or Peter and his own failures, where are the places that you've replaced, instead of a healthy understanding, this is what I want you to hear really clearly today, there's a big difference between guilt and shame. There's a huge difference. I I have a lot of reason to experience guilt in my life. My failures to be a good spiritual son to Dr. Hilburn are just one in a long list. And what I have to do when I fail, when I say, you know what? That's not how I wanted to speak to my kid. It's just not, that's not how I wanted to speak to him. That was a fail. And I've got to say, God, will you forgive me? And I've got to say to them, will you forgive me? Guilt leads us back to our failures and helps us pull out of that pattern, experience grace and forgiveness and move forward. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. You get the difference? Anybody with me? 11? You with me? You get it? You feel it? Do you know places that you've identified it? On Mother's Day, I was, uh, I was trying to figure out a good way. At Ecclesia, we have four services, so it takes up the whole weekend when I preach. And it's really hard. This year, Mother's Day fell on my daughter's 18th birthday, and then trying to celebrate uh, my wife. As, and I just thought, I'm a fail, because I got the whole weekend is just taken. So I Googled, I did what you do when you don't know what to do. I Googled Mother's Day at work, right? So I just thought maybe there'll be a good idea, like something that'll pop up. And this story pulls up, a new story, about a guy named Michael Breeson. So imagine this. Michael Breeson, it's his first 
Mother's Day as a father, his wife's first Mother's Day with their little baby, and she's a nurse, and he decides, I'm going to be a good dad, and uh, because she's working on Mother's Day, he decides to bring the baby up with some flowers and some food, some cake, set it up in the break room, so when she's on a break, they celebrate for a little while, and then she goes back to work, right? And he loads back up the baby, and he, uh, he takes the baby to the car, he, he loads in the flowers, he loads in the cake, he even seat buckles in the flowers to make sure they don't spill, and not until he's pulling onto the freeway and people begin to honk at him does he realize that he had left the baby seat on top of the car. Now, I'm going to tell you right now the baby's okay just because it's not fair to do that to anybody, right? But just imagine with me, you're Michael Breeson. And what happens is, like, people see it, and the baby car seat flies off, and luckily it lands soundly, and, uh, and the baby's okay, but the police see it, many people see it. He goes to get the baby. The, the officer pulls him aside and writes him a ticket. So it ends up in the public record, right? And the news are coming to visit him. Like, and, and you're the dad, right? Who, and you've got to call your wife and say, well, I, I kind of left the baby on top of the car. Right? It's not a great moment. And in this article, they interview his wife, and she's like, he just messed up. Like he, had a, he, he, he made a mistake, but he's a good dad, and he loves our baby, right? And she said she forgives him. You know she's going to pull it up at some point, right? I mean, <laughs> at some point in the relationship, you know? It's going to be like, well, you're the one who left the baby on the car, right? I mean, it's going to come up. But she says she forgives him. But just imagine what it's like in that place to forgive yourself. Every time you look at your kid, you think, what was I thinking, right? And how do you not let those failures define you? I, I find great hope, tremendous hope, in the life of the Apostle Peter. This guy who got it wrong so often. And yet, this is what we hear from him in 1 Peter 1. Hear his words to the church. I think they're beautiful and they're powerful. He says, so get yourselves ready. Prepare your minds to act. Control yourselves and look forward in hope as you focus on the grace that comes when Jesus the Anointed returns and is completely revealed to you. Be like obedient children as you put aside the desires you used to pursue when you didn't know better. So imagine with me, you're the Apostle Peter, you've messed up big, you've chewed out Jesus, you've lied, you've run, you've done all kinds of things. What do you think you're telling yourself when God begins to inspire you to tell people, be like obedient children, get yourselves ready, control yourselves. When you've got to speak in this next part, he says, be holy as God's holy. If you're Peter, what kind of story do you think you're telling yourself? If I'm Peter, I'm like, who am I, right? Who am I to tell these people to do that when they know how I failed, right? It'd be so easy to get caught in that trap. And part of this passage, we're going to explore, how does Peter get out of that trap? He goes on, he says, since the one who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For the scripture says, you were, you were to be holy for I am holy. If you call on the Father who judges everyone without partiality, according to their actions, then you should live in reverence and awe while you live out the days of your exile. Peter emphasized over and over again, our days here on earth are limited. Westridge, hear it. This has been a hard week, right? The election has left a nation really divided. We, we stand often in hard places and we think like this, and in some ways after a tough week, we think, well, this may be the hardest time to be a Christian, right? I got to tell you, Peter living under Roman occupation would probably disagree, would probably say, that was a little more difficult. And he ultimately says to us, figure out how to be faithful in the context you're in. Love your neighbor, love your God, love your family. Like do what you're called to do and do it well. And it doesn't matter who's in office or who's not in office. 
He goes on and says, you know, and this is the key to this passage. I want you to hear it today. You know that a price was paid to redeem you from the following the empty ways handed on to you by your ancestors. It was not paid with things that perish, like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the anointed, who was like a perfect and unblemished sacrificial lamb. Hear this today, Westridge. The reason that Peter didn't keep his head down and mope and mumble and live a depressed life because everybody knew about his failures is because forgiveness was real to him. He knew and understood that Jesus' death means that he could be fully forgiven. And so he embraced that forgiveness, and then he could step forward, hold his head high, and speak truth to all of us. Because he knew the price that was paid. Remember this amazing meal, right? That Peter was a part of this meal, this Passover meal. And again, it's just like our God, much like what we experienced last night at Wine to Water, to establish a celebration in his honor with a great feast. The great feast among the Jewish people is the Passover feast, right? There are many, but it's the great one. And Jesus goes with the disciples, remember, to the upper room, and they go to celebrate the great feast of the Passover. There was one big problem, though, when they got there. Do you remember? Disciples show up, and Jesus is there, and they got bread, and they got wine. What are they missing? They're missing the lamb. You remember the Passover, right? It's all about the lamb. Anybody been to like a great Argentine asado where they spread out the lamb on the rack and they cook it on the fire? This, this, it was like that. This is amazing. Now, I'm from Texas. If you invite me to a barbecue, I show up at the barbecue and there's no meat. It isn't a barbecue, right? I'll just tell you flat out, this is no barbecue. You got beans and tofu. This is not a barbecue. You want to do a barbecue, you got to get some meat. And Jesus shows up with the disciples and they're having the Passover meal without the lamb. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm the lamb. I'm the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And when I die, and that day is coming, you'll be forgiven once and for all. Now, Westridge, this is really, really good news. And this is what it means. None of us, if we identify with Christ, none of us, none of us can hold on to shame. We have to let it go. We have to embrace forgiveness. It's a sweet sound of a baby. It's okay. We like If you get annoyed by babies, just know we like the babies more than you. So, um, so when they make noise, it's a good, they're just, she's saying amen. Like you guys need to hear what he's saying right now. So hear this, right? Forgiveness, it's, it's real. I, I want to just invite you into three thoughts um, about how we could exit shame and enter into a new place together. And um, just a few things that I'd love for you to share. The first is, one of the best ways for us to leave shame behind is to live lives that are authentic and real. You desperately need to be a part of community where you don't have to hide who you really are and your failures. Now, that doesn't mean you broadcast all your failures on social media, right? It doesn't mean you tell everybody, right? There's appropriate sharing, right? Anybody been around an inappropriate sharer? You're like, okay, just back it down, back it down. I just met you. We're just on the plane together. We just met, and I just didn't need to know it. Just didn't need to know. But you ought to have a few good people in your life. You ought to have a few that know who you really are and love you still. And if you're blessed to have just a few people that do that, you can see the love of God in them, right? I want to encourage you to lean into friendships like that. Secondly, I want you to 
create a community as you already have here at Westridge, and there are beautiful things happening in small groups at Westridge, where in your small groups, in your community, in your family, you establish a sense of safety that allows people to be real and be who they are. And this is what that means. That means there's never a place for gossip. There's just never. There's never, gossip has never accomplished anything good in the world. There's never a place to look down your nose at anyone else. Anyone. Because of their addictions, their failures, big or small. Right? Nobody gets to look, Peter doesn't look down on anybody. Darren and I don't get to look down on anybody. You don't get to look down on anybody. We just get to walk together. One of the great things we experience at Ecclesia is that in our small groups, we have people uh, share their life stories. It's one of the ways like, our small groups just bond together. And, uh, and beautiful things happen. But often, especially when we were starting the church, I used to get this phone call over and over. And people would basically call and say, hey, I want to share my life story. I'm doing it this week. But pastor, do you think it's okay if I just share like the PG-13 version of my life story? Because my life story, it's R-rated at least. And, uh, and basically what I learned is almost everybody had a fear that if they told who they really were, what they'd really done, what they really think, that people would walk out on them the people in that group would probably turn over the chairs and just go, you're disgusting, I'm out, right? Everybody, for some reason, seemed to have that fear. And I've been to more than 100 of these groups where people tell their stories. And let me tell you what's happened in 100% of them. People get to the hard places in their story, and the circle always gets smaller, always. The chairs start moving together. People move closer to the person, as though physically to say, I'm not leaving you, I'm with you. Every time. And in some ways, as we reflect afterwards, people will go, you know what, that's really a relief to know how messed up they are. Like, I feel so much better about myself now. I feel really great that that's really a relief. People aren't actually disappointed. In fact, what happens is friendships are formed. I believe this 100% with all my heart. Friendships are formed out of our weakness, never about our strengths. Like, you don't look at somebody and go, you know what, you're awesome, and I'm also awesome. We should be friends in our awesomeness, right? never works that way. It's like, you're broken. And you're broken in some of the same ways I'm broken. We could really help each other. It'd be good if we walked together. Then it's in those places of weakness that we do really well. And then lastly, I just want you to end and help others to end these negative cycles of shame where you hear people talk about themselves in ways that aren't true. They're not the way God sees them. When you hear yourself doing it, you say, I'm going to stop those because they will only trap you in an ugly, ugly cul-de-sac that leads to the same failures over and over and over again. Can I take a moment and just pray for you as we conclude our time together and we prepare to celebrate communion? Lord God, I thank you for the people of Westridge. I thank you for the chance that we have, even here in Elgin, to gather together and do something meaningful that will affect the poor the lost, the lonely, and the forgotten in Nicaragua. Lord, I thank you that we're made to do it, that we find great hope as we do it. I thank you, God, that when you see us, you see us in all of our glory. Lord, you don't see our failures because you've already forgiven us for those failures, and so they're wiped away. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see ourselves and one another the ways that you see us, that we could leave behind our old failures And we could enter into a new day, each of us leaving this place today with our heads held high like Peter, speaking boldly and passionately and feeling and sensing your love and grace. Lord, we believe this with all of our hearts and all of our lives. And we pray it together in your name.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.